The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran are you sensing something new oh my goodness unity online radio has done so many wonderful new things so hopefully you're hearing me better than you ever have and things are going to be more fun than they ever have been you notice there were some messages there at the beginning We're not going to have a break in the middle of the show anymore. And other technical things are going on behind the scenes that have me a little bit nervous and stage fright. And they say that that gives you the good kind of adrenaline that makes everything better. (laughs) Let's trust that that's so. I'm Victoria Moran, and I am so, so happy that you have tuned in today for the Main Street Vegan Program. We're calling this episode our Wonder Woman Show. And that's because both of our guests really fit that description. And this show is specifically designed for you, whether you are a male or a female being. If somebody ever said to you, well, you shouldn't try to do so many things. You can't do everything. Just pick something and do it. Well, my guest today will say, Not necessarily because we're doing lots and lots. Guess what? It's working and we're changing the world. So um, I started to say after the break, but we don't have a break anymore. So after a while, uh, we'll be meeting Kimberly Wilson from Tranquility Du Jour. And right now, it's oh such a pleasure to be bringing back for her second appearance on the Main Street Vegan program, Sarah Gross Fioli. Sarah has felt a lifelong empathy for animals, went vegan while she was still in middle school back in Shreveport, Louisiana. She danced professionally in ballet for three years, moved to New York City 10 years ago, became certified in Pilates, and became a part-time chocolate bar developer. Is that something you've ever wanted to do? She did this with a raw chocolate company in Queens and founded Rescue Chocolate to marry two of her greatest loves, chocolate, and helping animals. Her rescued pit bull mocha appears on the company's logo. Sarah is also co-founder of U.S. Veg Corp., which presents large-scale vegan food festivals in Phoenix, Los Angeles, and New York City. 
the eighth annual New York City Vegetarian Food Festival is coming right up the weekend of May 19 and 20, 2018. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. It's it's a great new day. I didn't know we were doing the new system yet. So I'm still like, okay, we're just going to jump in and, and do this um, without any rehearsal. And you know what? That's really important, I think, for this particular program, because when I think of you and I think of Kimberly, our next guest, you guys didn't say, oh, my gosh, let me do five years of research on this. It looks really hard. I'm going to just do it. Is that your personality? Yes, it really is. If I am interested in something and curious, um, I just go for it. I don't sit around thinking of all the things that go wrong or, you know, reasons I shouldn't do it. I just give it a try. I love that. Well, it's very interesting to me that you had years of background in dance and we generally don't think of ballet dancers and chocolate as having a really great relationship, but it was different for you. So tell us the history of all that. Yeah. I mean, it was funny. The companies that I danced in, even though all of the dancers were in great shape, nobody was really, I mean, I was the only vegetarian even in the companies. Nobody was really thinking about healthy eating. Um, and chocolate to me fits in with healthy eating because <laughs> if you're eating the darkest of the dark and it's organic, like rescue chocolate is, um, I don't really consider it a junk food. Yeah, I don't either. I think junk food implies lack of quality. And there's certainly rich food and treat foods and foods that maybe aren't ideal for every person or that we don't want to have every day. But I think to be junk food, you've really got to come from a company that doesn't care. And yours is a perfect example of a company that cares lots and lots. Yeah, thank you. I mean, our whole reason for being is to help raise awareness about homeless animals and what people can do to help get these dogs and cats out of shelters and lower the euthanasia rates in the country. Um, every flavor just highlights a different rescue issue. So our bestseller is peanut butter pit bull. As you may know, in our local New York city shelters, the most common breed you'll find is the pit bull and they have such a bad rap in the media that this bar aims to turn the turn the tide on that way of thinking that pit bulls are so sweet and it's just like any kind of dog. It's how they're raised, how they're trained. Any dog can bite. A pit bull is strong. And so they capture the imagination and the media's attention. Well, that is really interesting to hear. I, my late dog, Aspen, was part pit bull and the sweetest being anybody would ever want to know. And yet I don't think you can go six or eight weeks here in New York City without reading, you know, that uh, some pit bull had a run in with a human. So what can we all do to learn more? And I think even just to be, well, certainly smart, you certainly don't want to go up to any dog that you don't know and try to be friendly. But on the other hand, to not be prejudiced against a dog just because of, of his or her breed. Oh, exactly. And it's so funny that this still exists in the media today as such a blind spot, but they will never report on 
basically any other breed that ever bites or gets into trouble with humans. Um, it's literally <laughs> only the pit bulls that capture the imagination. They're almost like a dragon or something. But, you know, these other things aren't being reported as much. So the best thing to do is to not pay it so much attention. Pit bulls, I mean, with all dogs, if you meet them in the street, you should really ask the owner if they're friendly. You know, some like men, some don't like men, some like kids, some don't like kids, just like any breed. But, um, you know, I would encourage people to just keep their minds open. They're dogs like every other breed. And more often than not, they're going to be very friendly and very affectionate. Ah, and is is Mocha still with you? Yeah, she is. She's at least 11 years old now. We don't know, you know, when she was actually born, but I know how long I've had her. So she's at least 11. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Well, we had uh, Dr. Pitcairn on uh, last week, the wonderful veterinarian, and he was talking about this dog. I think the dog's name was Bonnie, who lived to be 25. So we'll just uh, put Mocha (laughs) in that category, too. Bless her heart. Well, she's you know, been a vegan ever since I adopted her, so I'm I'm thinking she might get there. Could be. The other dog uh, was vegan as well. So what do you feed her? She eats the dog for her uh-huh. dry kibble. Um, that's a great vegan company. And um, she's got some wet food, some canned food that's from Natural Balance. And that's vegetarian, of course. Ah, oh, well, I keep hearing about all these healthy vegan dogs. I think that may be... The next big, uh, <laughs> the next big wave in veganism is is uh, the canine part of it all. So yeah. you you partner with rescue groups now. Do you give a, a portion of the proceeds? How does that work with Rescue Chocolate and supporting rescue groups? Yeah, so we do it a couple of different ways. We have one rescue group that we name as our main beneficiary for the whole year, and this year that's Old Dog Haven which rescues specifically the older dogs in the shelter so they can live out their last years um, in a home in comfort. Um, They're based in the Pacific Northwest. Um, But what we do, we donate all our profits at the end of the month to our main beneficiary. So they get a monthly donation. And um, the way that we work with other groups at the same time is they can use it as a fundraiser. So if their members come onto our website type in their rescue group name at checkout, then they get a portion of each sale. Oh, that's wonderful. So is is your entire company charitable? Yeah, so it's called a B Corp. It's not a non-for-profit. We're known as a benefit corporation. Mm-hmm. It's, the tagline for that is basically business for good. Aww. And um, so the company does function for profit, but basically the profits we make, we do donate. Wow, Sarah, I always knew you were extraordinary. And every time I talk to you, I know it a little bit more. So mutual, Victoria. So thank you. You have another life, too. In addition to saving dogs and making chocolate, you put on these giant festivals. And there are certainly veg fests all over the country now. And everybody's doing such a wonderful job with these. But when you started, there weren't that many. And you started big right (laughs) off the bat. So tell us about U.S. Veg Corp and, and what you and your partner, Nira, do yes. with your life every day to make all these things happen. 
Yeah, well, it's definitely another full-time job. <laughs> so with my partner, Nira, Nira Paliwoda, we started a company called U.S. Veg Corp, which is pretty tongue-in-cheek because it's just the two of us, U.S. Veg Corp. Um, so we started out, our first event was the New York City Vegetarian Food Festival. And this year is already our eighth year in New York City. So um, New York didn't have a veg fest. Every year I would remember my group of vegan friends going to Boston to partake in a veg fest. And that was the closest we could get. Um, so New York City was really lacking. And like we were saying at the beginning of the conversation, if I had known what would go into it, I probably never would have started. But it was one of those cases of, I want to do this. I believe in this. Let me just see what we can do. Let's try it. And that's how it started in New York City. Wow. Well, I don't know if it was the first or the second year that you had the festival that I went for the first time. And I remember when I came up out of the subway I thought that there was a rock concert or tickets were being sold for some fabulous concert or maybe the best pair of sneakers that had ever been invented was just new that morning because there was a line around half a block and a whole block and another half a block. But they were going to the Veg Fest. And that was back when it was, what, a half the size that it is now? Yeah. It's yeah. stunning. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, New York City is a city unlike any other in the world. I mean, we get the most wonderful crowds and people always comment on it on the inside that, you know, it's not a hectic crowd. It's like a feel good crowd. There's good energy in there. And, you know, people come out. We've got three stages of entertainment, including a cooking demonstration stage and two speaker main stages, one of which will host you this year again. So we're so excited to have you back. And uh, then we have over 110 vendors. So there's a lot going on at the event. Yeah, there is indeed. So tell me about some of your speakers this year. Maybe some of the ones that we're not familiar with yet. I know last night you had a wonderful press party at Brooklyn Borough Hall. And one of the speakers was a young uh, New Zealand chef. Tell us about him and some of the others. Yeah, so that was Luke Elwin, and he now is a private chef. He goes all over the world cooking vegan food for people, and we're so lucky to have him at the New York City Fest this year. Um, he's going to do a presentation about matcha, all that you can do with matcha, and then another one about agar agar, um, which is like a gelatin substitute. So he's amazing. Um, we also have an amazing five MDs presenting, which I wow. love because these people are just revolutionizing the medical field all about prevention as opposed to drug-based treatments um, with all of the data and science to back it up. So those are my favorite presentations personally, um, just because you can't argue with science. That's so true. And just to see that we now have medical doctors who are enthusiastically vegan, they might call themselves plant based, but it doesn't matter what you call it, as long as you do it. And I remember when you could hardly find a medical doctor. I remember when Dr. Joel Furman decided to go to medical school, it was it was considered in our little bitty vegan community, such a brave thing to do. Because we knew he would go through all those years of, of having to learn things that 
you know, were not what he really necessarily wanted to be learning. But now we just have lots of cardiologists and some internists and some others. So I know you've got uh, Dr. Osfeld, you've got Dr. McMacken. I think everybody's familiar with them from documentaries and things. Who do we not know so well? Um, Dr. Chidi Parikh is also presenting Dr. Shilpa Ravella um, and Dr. Mauricio Gonzalez. So those are our five and they've got, you know, all different um, areas of expertise. So I'm going to try to catch as much as I can of all of that. <laughs> well, good luck, because I know you're also going to be behind the scenes running everything. So just in our last minute or so, Sarah, from looking at the vegan landscape from your perspective, I mean, you started this as a child and you've been in this work professionally for about a decade now. What's changed and what's coming? Well, it's it definitely seems like, you know, the new generations coming up are so much more um, versed and interested in all things vegan plant-based. You know, you're not going to ever go into a restaurant or a store anymore, say vegan and have a blank stare back at you. So I feel like, you know, veganism is just on the popular level now. And we just get more and more and more uh, vegan businesses opening. I didn't discuss that we have, you know, our other two festivals in Hollywood and in Phoenix, but in all three cities, we see every year such a big growth of new vegan businesses. So it's really, it's really inspiring. And it kind of gives me the feeling that the world is heading that way, even though I'm looking at a very um, kaleidoscopic view, but um, it's definitely growing. That's wonderful. And I think the world is headed that way, maybe just more slowly than we would like, but more rapidly than I ever thought, <laughs> if that yeah. makes sense. So everybody, you have to meet Sarah. Oh my gosh. She's just beautiful inside and out. Her website is nycvegfoodfest.com if you're interested in uh, this particular festival. And you can also find um, her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Rescue Chocolate. Now, do you uh, ship that so people could order it from anywhere? Yes, all over the United States. Okay, perfect. And then also NYC Veg Food Fest on Facebook and the other social media platforms. And we'll put all of that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Sarah, keep at it. Oh, <laughs> and Laura, so I know you will. <clears throat> thank, thank you so, much so very me. much. All the best. Oh, this is so thrilling. Now, in six years of doing this show, this is the first time that I have not stopped for a break. Well, maybe a couple of times we just got going and went straight through. But in our new format, we're going to go from one inspiring guest to the next. I hope we can handle all the inspiration. And the woman to whom I would love to introduce you now, if you don't already know her, and you may well because she has quite a following, is Kimberly Wilson. When I hear the term Renaissance woman, I see a picture of Kimberly Wilson. She does so many things and she does them all so well. Kimberly is a psychotherapist in private practice, the author of five books, and the designer of the eco-fashion line Tranquilla Tea. 
that's a capital T there on the end. She's president of Pigs and Pugs Project. She hosts the Tranquility Du Jour podcast and blog, and her work has been featured in the Washington Post, Fast Company, U.S. News and World Report, Bella Grace, and more. She lives in D.C. with rescued pets and a human partner. She dreams of Paris and starting a micro-sanctuary for pigs and pugs. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you so much, Victoria. Oh, I admire you so much. You know, sometimes you meet somebody and you think, yeah, in my next life, I'm going to be her. (laughs) That's kind (laughs) of how I feel about you. I have so much admiration for you. I'm so happy that you're on the program today. And you've got big things going on. Great big life change. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, you know, I'd say the big transition that I am still kind of fluctuating through is selling my yoga studios at the end of last summer to yoga work. So, you know, it's two studios that I founded in 1999 and grew from a little baby seedling. And um, yeah, so 18 years and I decided it was time for it to go off to college. And so now (laughs) it is in the hands of a larger corporation, which has freed me up substantially in order to focus on other things. So are you involved at all or is it just bye-bye baby? You know, I teach there once a week, a mindfulness class. And then of course I uh, love to take there also, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's really, it's fully transitioned and it's so interesting. It's like my inbox is so much smaller. My anxiety is so much smaller. It's been this really like interesting shift, you know, but it's also been this interesting challenge of like, oh, I'm no longer in charge of that. So I can't make this change or this tweak. So it's been an interesting idea, I think, and challenge of learning to to let go and move on. And yet there are other things that you have been doing for a very, very long time that you are still doing brilliantly. So let's just try to go over some of these things for the, the few people who don't know your blog and your podcast How did you get started with Tranquility Du Jour? Yeah, so back in 2004, so this was five years into the studio, and I was like, huh, there's this thing called a blog. That might be kind of fun, All right? So I pulled out Blogger, right, to blogspot.com, and and I set up my very first blog. And then in 05, I started my podcast. And so it's been this interesting journey, particularly now as blogs became incredibly popular, and then podcasts became incredibly popular. But it's been this wonderful way and you probably have found this yourself, Victoria, to really connect with people in a much broader sense. So, of course, I was only able to connect in the past with people who came into my studio, so who were within the four walls. And a podcast and blog allowed me to reach like a global audience. And, you know, it's just been an absolute treat to have that as a, you know, a mechanism to reach people, connect with people and and grow a community. Well, you've certainly done that. I'm always running into people. In fact, I I had a a guest on the program not long ago, and we realized that being a fan of yours was one of the things that, that we had in common. And I know that as a vegan and as an animal rights activist, you very delicately and gently from time to time weave that into tranquility du jour, but 
It's not about veganism and animal rights. So talk to the listeners who have many interests and who want to be doing a lot of things about what it's like to be a vegan in a more general space. Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, it has been something, as you mentioned, where I definitely interjected. I have wonderful people such as yourself on the podcast, and I even hosted a seven-day detox earlier this spring, which, of course, was vegan and and also gluten-free and alcohol-free and caffeine-free. So it was like a big shift for a lot of people. And then, of course, there was Veg Week, you know, that happened in April that I also kind of co-hosted and encouraged. But it's one of those things where I I do have a lot of different passions. So, of course, it began with yoga and, um, you know, fashion by having the clothing line Tranquility, which you pronounced perfectly because I know it's always confusing with that capital T at the end. And, um, you know, it's like, and then in 09, no, it was actually 07, you know, I went through the Jiva Mukti teacher training and was shown Meet Your Meat, uh, of course, a PETA film. And at the end of that, Sharon Gannon, my teacher, was said, don't forget the animals. And I feel like that moment, without me even knowing it, was a big shift in the way in which I lived my life and what my message was. I'd already been vegetarian, but it was one of those things where it was like, that's not enough, right? So don't forget the animals. And that really stuck with me. And so in my work, since I do have so many different facets, I like to bring in this is storytelling about, okay, well, what, what drew me to animal activism, you know, tracing back to my very first turtle that I found on, you know, on the shore banks of a lake in Oklahoma. And I thought it was just a shell. I didn't realize it was alive. And I took it home. And then I began this obsession with turtles in grade school. I had turtle necklaces and t-shirts and earrings and turtles, live turtles and You know, and then, of course, that's evolved over the years, and now I'm quite obsessed with pigs and pugs. And really what came with the pigs piece was at that training, after seeing Meet Your Meat, I remember, you know, Sharon's lecturing on something around chakras or whatever. And I was like, I couldn't get the film out of my head. She, like, raised my hand, and I was like, this is all great, but what do we do about what we saw last night? And I remember she told us about farm sanctuary. So during my break, I went online and I'm Googling and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can adopt a pig. And so I adopted a pig. And the crazy thing is, Victoria, I thought that that was making a big difference. Now, I will say it is a difference, right, for that one pig to be able to sponsor it. But I had no idea the vastness of you know, the numbers of animals that are being killed every day in America alone for food. And so that really kind of started me, I think, on this journey of A, becoming obsessive about pigs and traveling to meet pigs as often as I can. And ultimately, you know, my goal now with Pigs and Pugs Project is I want to have a farm at where I can have some rescue pot belly pigs and let people from the city come in and meet them. What a wonderful, wonderful idea. How far along are you on that? We've been looking for, my boyfriend says, it's a unicorn of a space. So, you know, this particular place that I want, because I have certain requirements. Of course, we want it wooded because, you know, pigs have sensitive skin and we don't want to have to apply sunscreen or them to get sunburned. And so anyway, it's like this particular space that we're looking for. And I've mainly in the D.C., outside D.C., of course, like five to ten acres, want to have lots of room for them to roam. And um, also want to grow veggies and flowers and foster pugs. And so 
Yeah, we've been looking for about six months, but have not quite quite found the right space. But I've read that finding a farm or a farmette, and farmette for listeners who are like, what's that? Did she make it up? It's actually a word, cutest word ever, but it really just means like a small farm operation. And so, you know, I've read it can take up to a year. So I am willing to be patient, of course, for the right place. That is a beautiful, beautiful goal, and I know that you will do it fabulously as you have done and continue to do all the other things that you do. So let's talk about a few of the others, and then I want to find out how you do it. I want to know um, how the rest of us can have this wonderful juggling ability of a Kimberly Wilson. So tell us about the clothing line. Yeah, so Tranquility, I started that in 02. And the idea behind that was I was running around town, like teaching at the World Bank or at, you know, various gyms. There really weren't many yoga studios in the area yet. So, I mean, I had mine, but it was one of those things where I'd be downtown where everyone else is in business suits and I'm in like leggings and a t-shirt. And I just felt like exposed. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a clothing line that I could wear to teach yoga in, do yoga in, and run around town, and go out with friends, and, you know, not have to change. I mean, maybe I add on a layer or subtract a layer. And so that was kind of the idea behind Tranquility. And then it's grown over the years to be completely eco-friendly. So we use organic bamboo and organic bamboo slash organic cotton fabric. And, um, you know, it's really, it's just this, I have to say it's selfishly. It's also like, ah, this is, I would like this. Okay. I'll have my seamstress design it, create it, and then we'll sell it. So every season, twice a year, I come out with a new collection and it's typically about four new designs and maybe a, a few new colors. And um, and then, yeah, it's available for sale. We actually just got a sale from or, uh, an order from Italy. Typically, Aww. it's mainly U.S.-based, but we did just get an order from Italy. And, of course, a portion of all those proceeds benefit Pigs and Pugs Project and Farm Sanctuary. And, um, yeah, it's just been really, honestly, Victoria, like a passion project of mine. I wear the clothing line 24-7. I have, like, this uniform of sorts, which ladies who are listening can probably relate to the fact that Choosing what to wear every day can be quite the burden. And so there's this concept, right, of coming up with a uniform, something that you wear every day. Of course, you have a few of them, but so they don't really have to think about it. So I tend to have my uniform. And then as I go see clients, like I'm, I'm a therapist in private practice tonight, I'm going to go see five clients. I will have on my uniform and then I just shift it up by adding layers or different shoes or things along those lines. And that's been a really fun piece of tranquility is to try to create a clothing line that women can wear all bodies because it's got nice stretch and feel comfortable, cozy in, and design a capsule wardrobe that mixes and matches. Well, it's beautiful. I mean, seriously, everybody needs to see this. It moves. I don't know why there are so many clothes in the world that are stiff. You know, nobody likes stiffness. You know, you don't want to interview for a job and your impression of your new potential boss is, well, she's stiff. And yet, in so many clothing stores, everything is stiff, and you don't have a stiff item in your Correct. in your whole collection. Everything moves, everything works so beautifully. And part of that may be your kind of Parisian alter ego. What is this thing with you and the city of lights? 
<laughs> I do love me some Paris. I'm actually going <laughs> back in July for 10 days and Ooh. leading a retreat, Penning in Paris, which is a writing retreat. And the great thing is, is my rescue pug, who was one of my rescue pugs, who was lived her life on a puppy mill, like making babies for people in Oklahoma, now gets to travel to places like Paris. Aww. So I love her transition. But anyway, Paris, there's just something about it that is so magical to me. Even you mentioning the word Paris, like I just lit up. Um, you know, I think it's really one of the things that I love about Paris. I mean, of course, the style. The style is phenomenal. But the attention to detail is so profound. And I'm a really big attention to detail type of person. Like even at the yoga studio, I wanted doilies under the plates of cookies that we had out for our guests. And when you go to Paris, there's a doily under your cup of tea. You know, it's just like everything is so beautifully done. And I really love the fact that they relish sitting, sipping whatever they're sipping, wine, espresso, tea, and reading a book, like a real book, an actual book is in their hands, you know? And it's just amazing to me because I think so much in America is, you know, we love to, we get our drinks to go and then we rush to where we're going. And, you know, it's like there's something that's just a slower pace in Paris and it really almost like beckons you to sit and savor. And that is what I adore about Paris. How much fun it would be to walk around that city with you, seeing it through your eyes. And I know what you're saying about the food and everything is so true. I was just talking with my dentist the other day who had recently come back from Amsterdam where he was visiting an old college classmate. And the classmate said, do you know the difference between Americans and Europeans? And my dentist said, well, not really. I suppose there are many. And his friend said, the Americans walk around eating. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I guess we do. In fact, I did that this morning. Well, not eating, but drinking. And it seemed perfectly normal to me, but I am an American. So, yeah, Paris. And how do you eat there? How's your being a vegan in Paris? How does that work? Well, you know, one thing, too, that I'll just mention, and, and then I'll answer that question, is... Yeah. Um, you know, even I remember one time we, I had led two retreats there. So we were over there six weeks and then we took a couple of weeks down in Provence just to kind of chill. And I went to a cafe and I pulled out my laptop because I wanted to do some writing. The server would not even acknowledge me. And then finally, at some point, it's like been there 40 minutes. I'm like, hello, can I please get a menu? And he's like, well, when you're done working, I was oh. like, wow, you know, because they don't, they did, they're like, what are you doing showing up with a laptop? at a restaurant. Do you know what I mean? And I just, in a weird way, okay, I felt a little scolded, but I loved it because I was like, you're right. What am I doing? You know, I just thought that was interesting. That That is interesting. And you're reminding me of one. I was over there, this is quite a while ago now, and had this terrible flu. And finally, after days of not being able to eat, I was really hungry. So my boyfriend at the time went out to get me some carryout. I mean, great big city. Why can't you get some of that? He was gone for a couple of hours, it felt like to me. And he came back with this tray, beautiful dishes, all, you know, regalia, and told me that finally a man at a Tibetan restaurant 
had taken pity on the sob story and was willing to provide food for me at an off hour, a time when you're really not supposed to eat. But he didn't have any carry-out kind of dishes or anything, so he extracted a promise that the dishes would indeed be returned. So different. But you live like that all the time, I think. You seem like a Parisian in Washington. I'm a wannabe Parisian. You know, I always joke that it's like, I think I'm French, but I'm really from Oklahoma. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah. So That's um, a country lyric. You can put some music behind that. I think I'm French, but I'm from Oklahoma. Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, you know, I was just in North Carolina last week for a writing for health workshop at Duke. And I loved it because I turned on the radio and there was like 10 country music stations. And I was like, I love you, North Carolina. Oh, I I love country music because I love stories. Yes, yes, and they are full of stories. All very similar, but but lots of stories. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so, you know, eating in Paris, one of my big things, and this is like the first thing I do when I get to Paris, I came a little wonky by the time I arrive, but I will usually drop my bags and then head out to the farmer's market. That is usually, you know, lots of them have neighborhood ones. And I always pick up a bunch of fresh flowers, fresh cut flowers, which again is something I love about Paris. Like they really value beauty. Um, And so I pick those up and then I hit all the kind of vendors, you know, and get a bunch of nuts and a bunch of fresh fruit and veggies and their display of fruits and veggies and their nuts and their dates and oh my gosh, and their flowers, of course, is stunning. And it's really, it's... um. You know, it's an amazing thing because then it's like, oh, I feel so part of it. You know, it's like I'm buying at the far at the farmer's market. And um, there's just something about that that I feel like gets me off to the right start. You know, so then what, my Airbnb, I have like fresh flowers. I've got my avocados. I've got my lettuce. You know, it's like and the lettuce, too. It's so great because it comes with like the roots on it. You know, it's just like everything feels so like from the earth, which I just adore. And I swear all their stuff tastes so different. It's so flavorful. Like their tomatoes off the the little baby ones off the vine are unbelievable. Their strawberries, I've never tasted anything like it. It's really amazing. So the great tradition of butter and cream doesn't cramp your style. No, no. You know, it's like you definitely have to kind of work around some things. And, you know, but the great thing, even at like ice cream parlors, which of course, there's lots of places like that, you know, they have sorbets. So there's always ways to work with it. And I just tend to have a lot of stuff at home. You know, so I tend to do that. And I mainly, whenever I eat out, it's a lot of, um, they do these beautiful veg salads that even have uh, green beans in them. And Mm -hmm. even like, uh, cooked potatoes, like so yummy. I eat a lot of French fries there. And then I sip a lot of tea. So if I'm going out, it's a lot of tea. Mm. You do know how to live. How's your French? Are you fluent? Oh, it's so horrible. You know, I've taken two classes and the second one was taught by this lovely Indian woman who, and it was at Alliance Francaise. So they spoke in French the whole time. And she basically told me I needed private lessons. And I was like, okay, maybe I just need to let this go. It's so hard. You know, I know a little bit of Spanish because I took that in college and in high school. So anytime they'd ask a question, I panicked and I'd come back with Spanish, you know, and it was just like, I, I just realized that I was very enthusiastic about the language, but maybe I just needed to leave it to others. 
<laughs> That's so interesting that you can have this very active love affair with a place and and not be that concerned about being able to speak the language. Yeah, because the great thing is you don't need to. Even yesterday, I called via Skype the hotel that my guests will be staying in for the retreat. And as soon as they pick up, I'm like, oh, bonjour, parlez-vous anglais? You know, and usually they do. And, you know, and I knew that this hotel would. But, you know, in, in situations where they don't, I figured out enough of the words on menus or, you know, things along those lines that I can get by. Sometimes it's a little awkward exchange, but... Believe it or not, you can totally get by. And I'm I'm always impressed by that because I think a lot of people can be scared about traveling to a new country, you know, of like, what if well, I don't speak the language? What will I do? If you know some basic phrases, you really like you're gold. Hmm. And you're and if you're nice. <laughs> of course, of course. Now, you are also a psychotherapist, and this was not something that you studied back in undergraduate or anything. This was something that you pursued as an adult. What's that all about? How does that fit in with all the rest? Yeah. So, you know, I actually did. I studied psychology, but, um, you know, I had initially thought I would become a therapist. And then I kind of went down this path of yoga. And then I was like, you know what? Yoga is like therapy. Like it felt very therapeutic in the fact that people come up to you after class, they share their life story. It's just like, it felt like a therapeutic endeavor. And then it was 2009, and I was coming up on the 10-year anniversary of the studio. And I thought to myself, what's next? Like, what's next for this next decade? Not at all thinking, like, because I'm going to leave this behind, but just thinking of, like, okay, what's the next pursuit? And I had set aside some time to actually go to Paris, and I was going to spend a couple weeks there. And my hope was to take a, a few weeks off from the studio to just try to sort it out. Well, before that could even happen, I was in Costa Rica hosting a retreat and reading about Paris in preparation for my trip. And I sat down with a retreater who was there and asked her, I'm like, what is existentialism? Like, I keep reading about it. It's like, but I'm not quite wrapping my head around it. Well, then she and I start talking about that. And then she reveals that she has been thinking about going back to grad school to get an MSW. And I was like, you know, I kind of been wondering if I should do that too, because that was always the trajectory I thought I'd lead. So the crazy thing is, is now, or that fall, we both signed up to return to graduate school. We both got our MSWs and we're both in private practice now. And it all stemmed from me reading a Parisian book about existentialism in a hammock while sipping a coconut and chatting with her. So it's so funny, you know, how those things work out. And if I had put the pressure on myself, okay, you're going to take these three weeks off, you're going to go to Paris, you're going to just relax, get away from day-to-day obligations, and figure it all out. I mean, that's so much pressure, right? So I love that it just happened organically. So do you have a specialty as a therapist? You know, one of the things I'm studying right now is veterinary social work, which is really interesting. So it's a lot about using animals to assist people. But for me, honestly, I'm more about how do we use people to assist animals. But, um, you know, that is something that I'm really interested in, pet loss and grief, the connection between human and animal violence compassion fatigue and animal assisted interventions however the majority you know my specialty so to speak is kind of your average washingtonian struggling with stress 
anxiety and relationship issues. I mean, these are the main things that people come to me for and with. And, um, you know, I think also incorporating my mindfulness and yoga background is really helpful to give this like holistic, full-bodied approach to kind of dealing with these maladies that, I mean, so many of us struggle with. Well, if I were in D.C., I would love to come and pay to talk to you. <laughs> it would be absolutely <laughs> delightful. And maybe have a pig or a pug on my lap during the process. Right. So, we, in, in all seriousness, you don't just talk about tranquility. You really seem to have found it in your life. So help us out here. What's the road to that? Give us some tips. You know, it's funny you say that because I I go along the lines of you teach what you most need to learn, right? So, you know, for right. me, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, you know, for me, it really, it's this ongoing journey of how can I live my best life? How can I challenge myself? How can I put myself out there in a way that is supportive and nurturing for others. And, you know, I would say really like, you know, a few tips that I have found to be incredibly helpful. I mean, one is my morning routine. You know, it's like I love to start it with writing in my journal, hot water with lemon. Uh, I walk my three rescue pugs. You know, it's like this way of like, okay, how do I get grounded in the morning? Sometimes it includes meditation or some movement. I recently, I love your previous guests because I recently took up ballet and um, that's been this wonderful way of finding tranquility because there's a live pianist in the class and there's just this oh moving your body in these like really challenging opening ways is so therapeutic and another thing that I started this year is we have a little garden in our backyard I probably have like a uh, maybe a 200 square foot tiny little backyard patio and we have two raised beds and we're growing kale and peas and arugula and beets. And that's another way, you know, getting your hands dirty, connecting to the earth and growing things, I think is a really wonderful way to kind of live tranquility. And then the last thing I would say, which really ties into everything we've been discussing around Paris, is to surround yourself with beauty. So what I mean by that is like I always have fresh cut flowers in the house. And then, um, you know, I'm a very big like tea drinker. So I love to have cups of tea nearby. And and that's something too that I do with my clients. I always have tea available and encourage, you know, that they have like this like nice cup of tea whenever they're there in the room with me. I use a lot of lavender. Um, you know, it's like setting things up. I use twinkle lights, you know, little like lights that hang and give these like sweet little white ambiance. So it's this idea of bringing kind of beauty into the everyday that really, really helps me to kind of ground and stay connected to myself and to my environment and to others. Mm. Well, listeners, if you would like to be more connected with Kimberly Wilson, her website is KimberlyWilson.com, and she is Kimberly Wilson on Twitter. Now, on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, she is Tranquility Du Jour, Tranquility D-U-J-O-U-R, and the fashion line is T-R-A-N-Q-U-I-L-I capital T. 
And you can find all those things just by going to Mr. Google and putting in some of it. And we'll also have all of that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So, Kimberly, you seem to do this so naturally, and yet I know you teach other people to do it as well. And you've mentioned the word retreat several times. So talk to us about that. What What's this whole retreat life that you live and how do you do them? Yeah. So, you know, I've been hosting retreats since about 2000. And typically there's two international, either Tuscany or Mexico or Costa Rica or Paris. And they're, you know, five to seven day adventures. And then I even do like three day ones out to West Virginia to write in the woods. And, you know, the idea behind it is, which I think is so powerful, is this idea of just stepping out of your everyday life where you look around and you see dust bunnies or you see clutter or things that need to be done, laundry, etc. And you're able to kind of pull away from all of that and really focus on you, yoga, mindfulness. And then we do creative play, which is art journaling. So that's like collage and paint and writing. And I find that to be incredibly therapeutic for people. So what I think is important for people to keep in mind, though, is you don't have to escape to some exotic locale. You know, there's a lot of great articles out there on how do I retreat at home, you know, to set up your own little retreat space and have like three days on a Saturday that you just devote to kind of your dreams, your bigger picture, checking in to see like, am I living the life I want to live? And if not, how can I make changes? And I think it's really important because otherwise, we go through life with this idea of rinse and repeat. And then before we know it, days, years, you know, are over. So that's the really, to me, why retreats are so important. I mean, A, they're amazing. They're amazing experiences. But also, I think it's just important to give ourselves that opportunity to step back and evaluate. Mm. Now, for many of our listeners are vegan entrepreneurs, and they're out there doing amazing things and planning to do more amazing things. So help us with a little reality check. When you did your first retreat, how many people were in your database? How many Facebook likers did you have? It was tiny. Actually, there was no Facebook, right? So it was 2000, you know, and there wasn't even like MailChimp or WordPress or blogs or, you know, any of this. And you know what it was? And granted, the thing is, is now there's a lot more people doing this. Back then there were less. So I had that advantage, but I had postcards that I took to all my classes and handed out. And it was one of my biggest international retreats ever, which is crazy. But it was my first one in Costa Rica. And so it was all people that I knew personally and connected with. And some of them brought friends. And now, you know, to me, the main way that people come on and find retreats, they're blog readers, podcast listeners. A lot of people have come on retreats with me before. So some people, they make it an annual excursion where they just continue to check in with themselves. But I think whatever medium that you are doing, whether or not it's teaching classes or speaking or consulting or writing, you know, that it's important to share, like, this is what I offer. And would love to have you join me. And so I don't know if it's even so much about Facebook likes, right? If we think back to my first experience, it was all about a postcard and connections. 
And granted, now we have way more opportunities to spread the word. I mean, you could do Facebook ads, right? Or you could, you know, um, have people write testimonials about it and share that the retreat's coming up with their friends. I guess there's lots of ways to do it, but I've always kind of been a little bit more organic with it. And I know you've also done online retreats. Yeah, and these are fun, right? Because the great thing about that is you don't have to leave your home. So I did one in April, three hours, and then I have one coming up October 20th. And the idea behind that is we do seated yoga, we do mindfulness practices, and we do creative play, which is art journaling and writing and reflecting. And that's all kind of this live experience that we do together during this three hours on a Saturday from 12 to 3. So if you're on the West Coast, it's nice. It's, you know, 9 to noon. And yeah, it's just a sweet way to be like, okay, I'm going to retreat, but I don't have to get on an airplane. I don't have to pack my bags. I just have to set aside and dedicate these three hours to me. Oh, and that's such a lovely concept that you could actually retreat for three hours because I think we think it has to be a week at least. Right, right. And I find, you know, I mean, uh, for me on retreats, I find that for for me, whenever I go on retreats, five days is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but it varies. Of course, some people could probably use weeks and, you know, others, they could kind of get the jolt that they need in, in a few hours. So I think it's just important to check in with yourself and notice, like, how depleted are you? You know, how much do you need that cup refilled? And to think about that whenever you're signing up for a retreat. So are you the person that you had hoped to be when you were a little girl? (laughs) You know, it's funny from Oklahoma. I mean, I didn't really know what one could be other than a mom and, you know, living in Oklahoma. So I don't even think this, I mean, all of this is kind of beyond my wildest dreams. Um, and, And I love that. I think as a woman to recognize that like I had no business training and yet I build this I built this large business that's been sold and you know I think if we can keep that in mind that it's like even if you thought like oh I'm not quite there yet it's like you can go so beyond what you thought was possible and I think it's important to to constantly check in with ourselves and be like is this even still what I want kind of like a snake sheds its skin I think we have to shed things from time to time when they're no longer who we are, even if it's who we thought we were or should be. That's beautiful. Then in terms of visualization, are you envisioning something for the future or are you just allowing the wonderful fate to uh, take you where it will? Yeah, no, I'm a big like five-year planner, but you know, during the past year of kind of selling the studio and whatnot, I didn't know what was going to happen. And once the studio was sold, I have my vision on that farm at, right? Like five-ish acres um, outside the city, still seeing clients coming into the city, maybe two to three days a week, seeing clients then and then spending the rest of the time as a farmer, um, but living on farmland and growing veggies and cut flowers and rescuing potbelly pigs that need homes and fostering pugs. So that's, and hosting events for people out there. So that's, that is my vision. That is what I see for the future. Oh, that's a beautiful vision. And knowing you, that's just what you're going to tell us about next year. That's wonderful. (laughs) Kimberly Wilson, Tranquility Du Jour. So do check out this woman. If you're looking for some wonderful clothes, 
that will make you feel great about yourself and your life, or if you're looking for an uplift, or if you're looking for another podcast, because podcast listeners are podcast listeners. (laughs) please do check out a tranquility du jour. I know that you will absolutely love that you did. Kimberly, bless your heart. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Thank you for having me. It's always a treat to connect, Victoria. Such a pleasure. And I look forward to our paths crossing in person in August, if not before. Yes. Okay. Take care, Kimberly. And everybody else, a couple of little announcements before we bump off at a brand new hard stop time. The blog this week at MainStreetVegan.net is called The Dietary F Word by Colleen Gray Hewitt. And that F word is, of course, fiber. You know, people are always saying, where do you get your protein? When did anybody ever ask you, where did you get your fiber? And that actually is a really good question. Um, I also want to let everybody know, if you don't know already, that, oh my goodness, veganism is so in the mainstream. Kroger's, Kroger's Grocery Store is going to be doing, in fact, they're doing right now, and you can get in on it, a plant-based recipe contest. If you go to livenaturallymagazine.com slash recipe contest, you can enter your recipe for lots and lots of wonderful prizes. One of them is an hour-long consult with me, but the one you really want is the grand prize, and that is $1,000. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.